Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because you know what to do with that big fat butt. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show recording this week at the Department of Homeland Thickness. So I want to start the show a little differently than normal. I just want to take a little time to explain to everyone why there's been such a delay in Mike's Thick Stack episodes. We were supposed to start getting into a lot of bonus episodes the month of October, and that proved to be kind of difficult. I was initially supposed to go to a wedding and then delay release for a day, and that would have been fine. But at the wedding, I got news that my uncle passed away, and that started a whole whirlwind of other things. So I was dealing with a whole bunch of family stuff, which really sucked. Uh, It's been very, very difficult to deal with, and uh, you know, it was—it's been a very difficult time for for me and my family. So. Uh, I just could not put out the podcast, even though I've done a lot of the work to get the podcast out. So I just want to thank you for your patience and your love and your support and all of the great stuff that everybody's been doing and checking out our live shows. That's That's been fantastic in the meantime. So kind of like normal, we're going to do Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Thick like the pillows on my couch, this week clocks in at a 6 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. This thickness is like eating one Reese's cup. It's good, but leaves you wanting more. And most of the thickness is due to two oversized issues, which we're really going to get into in quite a bit. In case you're curious, the stack this week has a definite Marvel lean. This week, we begin with the Marvel books, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 49. I gave this a 2 out of 5. I had high hopes for this, especially given how thick this book is. The story opens with Norman reclaiming the mantle of the Green Goblin, as Sin Eater takes Juggernaut's powers for himself. He becomes this grotesque creature, and it's stunning to look at, especially with how gross it is. The unlikely duo of Spider-Man and Green Goblin is overpowered, and they need to seek an escape route. They make a run for it while Ghost Spider basically tells the Order of the Web to stay out of it for now because it's Spidey's fight. Spidey pulls the ceiling down in order to attempt to slow down this juggernaut-infused Sin Eater, and he's saved from the rubble by Norman Osborn, as Gwen tries to force yet another vote by the Order of the Web to figure out what to do. Sin Eater recovers and then begins his chase anew as Spidey and Green Goblin go to another underground area. Pete figures out to liquefy the ground underneath Sin Eater to stop him like he did Juggernaut way back when in that classic Amazing Spider-Man story. This is successful, but instead of helping pull Spidey out of trouble, Norman attempts to drown him in the liquefied ground, which is awful. He's stopped by the Order of the Web, who also rescues Pete completely not you know trying to drown him first on the ship osborne becomes his usual slimy horrible self leading to a tense series of pages particularly around gwen pete is clearly contemplating killing him 
but throws him off the escape pod instead. The story ends with Kindred basically saying that he didn't change anything and that sins never stay buried. Then there are three short stories. The most important one to me is with Vulture's granddaughter. Overall, I was just disappointed with a couple of things. First, with such a bonus-sized issue, nothing was truly resolved despite the space in the issue to do so. Secondly, I just felt like the pacing of this issue was off. It could have been paced a little bit better to get somewhere significant a little faster. It could be building to something in issue 50, but we knew that issue number 850 for the series was coming, which is what this was, and it just didn't live up to the hype. Finally, I didn't really love the decision to go with three different artists with this book. Knowing that it's Ryan Otley's last issue, I would have preferred him take the majority, if not all of the issue. I feel so disappointed, so I'm really hoping issue 50 has something good for us. Next up we have Champions Outlawed number 1. I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. The series picks up after a lengthy COVID layoff. It's told from Miles' point of view, which makes it interesting for me. He goes to school and a message comes through on all tech channels from Miss Marvel saying that teen heroes will still be teen heroes even if it makes them outlaws. After school, Miles goes to break up a robbery, but it's a setup by the task force looking to take down the teen heroes. Miles escapes and goes to a meeting set up by Kamala with all the teen heroes, which Kamala attends from a hospital bed. As they fight over the best way forward, they are raided by the newest government agency with an acronym, the Child Hero Reconnaissance and Disruption Law Enforcement, a.k.a. Cradle. They make a joke about it possibly being called Tradle? I'm not sure. Uh, and they're led by former Avenger Justice. He gives them a chance to stand down, and they fight to escape, leading to the capture of two members, Wasp and Bombshell. Kamala kills her broadcast to the meeting because she's still in the hospital and realizes that someone is a traitor and she could be tracked. It seems that a synthesoid sent the information on, on the meeting, and they think that it's Vision, but it seems like it's Viv Vision that is the traitor here. Again, we've been down this road before, back in and around the original Civil War, and it's not like there's a ton going on here that it's, excites me. It's the first issue, but I'm not sure it's going to be huge i did love that it was from miles's perspective but maybe that was it i was hit and miss on the art but there's a panel when nova is mad and the nova force is actively crackling around him and it looks incredibly badass i hope this really recovers soon next we have thor number eight i gave this a three and a half out of five this is a co-marvel book of the week this is a wrap-up to the quick two-part Hammerfall story arc it starts with the Tome of Eternity and how it hasn't contained stories like this before. Then it jumps right back into Broxton, Oklahoma, and Adam Aziz, who is now wielding Mjolnir, and Tony Stark, who has answered the call to help out. After deploying an EMP, Thor shows up and Iron Man is angry. Because, you know, phone number written on, on Mjolnir, which is uh, awesome. He takes the hammer and says he's not giving it back without running tests to figure out what's going on, it eventually hits Thor in the face with Mjolnir via a rocket-propelled gauntlet, which is badass. Thor is clearly displeased, reminding Tony that holding his hammer is not wielding his power. Tony gives it back, and they seem to escalate their friendly prank war yet again, leaving Thor with Adam Aziz. Thor takes him for a flight, 
and then sends him on his way. The end of the issue focuses on Thor being reflective and thinking about a vacation as one Donald Blake. I loved the art in this book. It's so strikingly different than the rest of the series so far. The standouts are the splash page of Iron Man hitting Thor, and then Thor's reminder to Tony that he's an actual god. Just astonishing. I'm curious to see where this book leads, especially with it being so good so far. Okay, to wrap up, we have the three books here from the X of Swords or Ten of Swords crossover. Starting with Wolverine number six, I gave this a three out of five. So this part of the crossover focuses on Wolverine and the Motomasa blade for the tournament. In his pursuit, Logan squares off with some old foes, starting with Silver Samurai, who he bests and gets some information from. Meanwhile, on Araka, we see a quote-unquote prisoner, Solom, who frees himself quite easily. I'm, I'm, they just put him in a pit and didn't have him chained or anything. Uh, and he starts his quest for the, the Muramasa blade as well. Wolverine ends up in hell, surprisingly, looking for Muramasa, who asks Logan to save him. It continues more in the next story, but this book in particular seemed to drag. I was hoping for more quest, less backstory, etc. from this book. That's not really what happened. However, it looks great. It's probably one of the best looking books of the week, if not for Thor. So, we're going to move straight into X-Force number 13. I gave this a 3 out of 5. This is a continuation from that Wolverine story that we just talked about. It shows how Logan got to Muramasa in Hell by fighting the Hand. He goes through the pits of Hell, leaving his adamantium skeleton largely intact. He gets taken and thrown into a cell with Solom. As he regenerates, Solom tells the tale of how he got into that hell, hell in a cell. <laughs> See what I did there? Anyway, they escape the cell and interrupt the marriage taking place and take the swords forged by Munamasa. Solom ends up with both of them, leading to Wolverine to make a deal to just to get one of the swords from Solom. He goes back to Krakoa stands on his sigil with his sword. Overall, I don't know that this journey needed to be two issues, but it makes a little bit of sense because Wolverine and X-Force share a writer and an artist at times, so I don't know. It's an interesting ride, but that doesn't exactly mean it's good. It does look spectacular, however. One of the biggest pluses to Wolverine in general has been how good the art has been. Okay, final Marvel book here. We're going to go ahead and get into Marauders number 13. I gave this a 4 out of 5. I, this is the co-Marvel book of the week. This is my favorite X of Swords crossover book so far. This story centers on Storm and her quest for Skybreaker, which will not be easy for her to get. The sword is in Wakanda, home to her ex-husband T'Challa. Storm goes to Wakanda and obtains an audience with Shuri and Queen Ramonda as she asks for Skybreaker. And then there's immediate outrage over her asking, and they ask her to stay for a few days and wait for T'Challa to make his decision. Shuri brings Aurora some dinner, and they discuss a few things, and it gets contentious quickly. Storm asks Shuri to leave and changes from her white outfit, that classic 90s cartoon one, to her black one, signifying a shift here. From here, it's a stealth mission, intercut with flashbacks of T'Challa showing her the areas that she's going to from when they were married. She has to fight Shuri in the room where the sword is, and then fights a bunch of robots on her way out, and then gets confronted by Black Panther and some of his guards. T'Challa eventually lets her pass, confused about why she didn't just wait for him. 
he orders his guards to destroy the Krakoan gate after she leaves. This book was amazing. I'm not in love with this artist's particular interpretation of Kate Pride, but for this story, just the art is amazing. There's a marked shift between the first part of the book when she's a diplomat and the second part of the book when she's in full espionage mode. That that change between white outfit and black outfit. It's visually striking and an excellent read. This is exactly what I love about comics. When art and story are so seamless that you just love to read it again and again. Highly recommend this story. Alright, after a quick break, we're going to go ahead and jump to this week's DC Titles. Hey everybody, it's Mike from Twisted Cape. Do you like wasting time at work? We do. Uh, if, if you want to waste some time at work, hopefully not get caught, you should check out thetwistedcape.com. We have a bunch of satire stuff, we have some opinion stuff, some review stuff, a whole bunch of stuff, and other stuff as well. Uh, we have some contest stuff, and some other fun stuff. Make sure you check it out. Uh, at your leisure, at any time you want, www.thetwistycape.com. We'll see you there. Stay twisted. Yeah, we're back. Okay, starting at these DC titles with Batman number 100, I gave this a 2 out of 5. Well, here's the Joker War finale, and it's certainly a book. This issue starts with the Bat family being QB'd by Babs uh, as Oracle, taking back the city block by block. It's great to see Dick back in action here as well. Then we get a cut of the battle between Joker in his Bat suit, I guess that's what we're calling it, and a reanimated Joker-controlled Alfred versus Batman. Batman evens up the fight, and Joker blows up a warehouse, which concerns Punchline, who is across the city. The underbroker tells her that the money that they had is gone, and she's no longer welcome, and outside she's immediately greeted by Nightwing. They start to fight, and a bunch of hench clowns, I'm going to trademark that, and, and, and don't steal that shit either, show up outnumbering Nightwing, but then the rest of the Bat family, except for Batman of course, shows up as well. Back in that Joker-Batman fight, Joker gets the upper hand and is about to mutilate Batman, and Harley shoots out his eye. Harley explains here that it has to end. She straps a, b- a bomb to herself and one to Joker. She straps a bomb to herself as well as one to Joker and says that Batman has to save one and only one and runs away. Batman walks after her and then there's an explosion. Harley wakes up in a hospital and has a conversation with Batman who explains that he had to bury Alfred again and the Joker escaped using the tools from his bat suit the main story ends with a tease for the next villain the ghost maker then there are two quick stories one about batman encountering bao fam aka clown killer about what he's been doing and that he needs to get help and gives him a card to go see leslie Tompkins. another is about the joker going to ground and it all happens in a diner we also find out that punchline's name is alexis k in this story joker kills a man and makes him take on his characteristics to throw people off the trail so this story had cool moments, but overall, I was not a fan. In an issue this big, I wish it felt more impactful. I know this is a big story that came to a conclusion, but instead of a riveting book, I found it to be more of a slog and a laborious read, which is not what I want from a flagship title. There's a lot of teasing about how Joker has changed the city, but maybe take those extra pages and give hints about how that's happened? Also, I feel like the punchline clown killer stuff could have been worked into the regular story and not given such special treatment at the end of what's supposed to be a landmark issue. 
The art in this book is as good as it has been, and that's really a saving grace for me. The stuff with the eyeless Joker will stay in my mind for a long time. Jimenez gives so much excellent detail to the characters, specifically Punchline and Harley, that it honestly gives me chills to think about the work that was done here. He's spectacular. We'll do a big look back on this story soon. Moving on to Deceased Dead Planet, number four. I gave this a four out of five. This is your DC Book of the Week right here. Constantine's team rejoins the others in Gotham via Boomtube, which makes some uncomfortable at the time. They realize that they can go to Metron for answers, but summoning him is difficult, and they need a lore. Constantine produces a stolen crystal ball from Madame Xanadu and gives it to Mr. Miracle. John Kent slash Superman goes to get Dinah Green slash the Green Lantern for a mission for the cure. So Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Mr. Miracle go to New Genesis, where Mr. Miracle is violently greeted by Orion. Highfather agrees to help while guilting Scott for leaving his son in New Genesis. They enact a plot to get Metron out of the chair, but he's too strong and starts to run. Mary Marvel appeals to his logic and his curiosity, and he agrees to look at the crystal ball while Cyborg uses the chair. Vic gets the cure, and Metron says he needs to leave immediately. The book ends with Darkseid being reborn. I love the way that this story is told. Also, how John ends up being even stronger than Clark ever was is great. I mean, he one-punches Orion, who is no pussy. It looks great and meets every single moment that's offered up. Okay, next up, we have Justice League number 54. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Here's a death metal tie-in that gets and stays weird. Cyborg and Starfire boom tube in, I'll get to that later, I guess, to Gotham City and are immediately ambushed by what seems to be King Shark, Killer Croc, and Mr. Pig. Nightwing and his small team intervene. They get confronted by Lex Luthor and then immediately abandon him. Then we get a conversation mid-battle in the mindscape between Martian Manhunter and Mindhunter. Mindhunter essentially gains the upper hand by, you know, being Batman. In the meantime, Nightwing and his team keep moving and the Titans do some catching up while walking through a valley of Starro. Starro's? Star? Star-I? I don't know. The plural of Starro. So we're just going to say Starro. Nightwing tells Starfire about being shot and she gets really mad and then the issue gets crazy. Between the crazy design shifts throughout these characters' histories, multiple shifts in time... And more, the team is in dire straits as they've been brainwashed by Starro. Luckily, Nightwing gets rescued by Lex Luthor, and these two are suddenly staring down their mind-controlled allies. I really liked how cuckoo this book was, and anytime there's a psychic starfish from outer space looking to cause trouble, I'm in. There's a ton of art heavy lifting in this issue, which is nice. My only gripe here is that the backgrounds are kind of dull and largely open voids but overall this issue really works i can't wait to see what's next final book here young justice number 19 i give this a two and a half out of five this is the penultimate young justice book and it's basically a solo cassie story which seems weird the issue starts with cassie confronting zeus which is great because she stands up to her grandfather basically telling him to fuck off with his pantheon nonsense shortly after she's attacked by Aegeon. She beats it senseless, realizing that someone was messing with her, and goes to her team, who are 
all then attacked by Poseidon. She beats back Poseidon and his minions, and Zeus tells her that she's earned her place, which she declines, choosing to stay with Young Justice. Zeus says that if she chooses this path, then she'll be banished for all time, which Cassie accepts, and the issue ends. I just don't quite understand the thought of being the the placing of this issue here, if it's all ending soon. It was a cool enough story, I guess, and the art was fine, but why not have some fun and take some actual risks before the finale? Some strange choices were made here. Alright, we're going to start to wrap up here, so if you want to be on the show, hit me up at SpiderMike29 on Twitter. Looking ahead to next week, we have some huge select titles if my sources are still accurate. We have Death Metal number 4 from DC, Justice League Odyssey number 25, which uh, I'm hoping we get some answers from that whole Justice League thing, and Rorschach number 1, interestingly enough. On the Marvel side, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 50, Avengers number 37, uh, that X of Swords or Ten of Swords crossover, and Immortal Hulk. So, just so you guys know, we've got some stuff up on YouTube, so please make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss a drop of our awesome content. We have some new merch up on TeePublic, so check the link in the show notes to get your hands on some sweet, sweet gear. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform, or just listen on thetwistedcape.com. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces, on every social media platform. Facebook, the Gram, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you tune in weekly to our Wednesday show on Facebook or YouTube and live in them comments. We go over them during and at the end of each show. Finally, feel free to shoot us some feedback on this show to thetwistedcape at gmail.com. And make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, how'd you fit that in them jeans? Stay safe, wear a mask, stay twisted. Big stack.